morning, everybody. Good to see all of you. My name's Brian Anderson. I'd love it if someone would give me an application. I'd like to apply for a position here. Uh, some of you don't even know what that means. You're just being kind to me, correct? Amen. Thank you, Joey. Amen. My uh, encouragement committee is still here, praise God. God's been good to us, guys. And we're in this series called Summer of Prayer, and I think it's very important for us to learn how to do that. And I echo what um, Brother Comer, Brother Hillbilly is what I call him. If you ever hear me say Hillbilly, that's who I'm talking about. And I'm glad to be able to say that over 16 years that I've been here, he's been right there close to me. He's, he stood with me throughout everything. We've been there, gone through a lot together. I appreciate your ministry, bro. I appreciate what your words said to us today. Pastor Blake also said some things uh, concerning what we're talking about today because we're talking about how to pray. Jesus said, this is how you pray. And it doesn't sound like this, now I lay me down to sleep. Okay? And a prayer, actual prayer with the Father God doesn't look like, give me, give me, give me. Amen. You know what I mean? You know, sometimes people actually try to get saved so that God can give them stuff and then at some point they got to get saved from the stuff see either you want the stuff or you want God a lot of people's like I want the blessing of God the blessing of God you want to know what the blessing of God is the blessing of God is the presence of God Amen. it's not the stuff you see if you're wrapped up in stuff then you're still in the flesh because the flesh likes stuff. And uh, God says for us to love him, love people, and enjoy things, not vice versa. Amen? So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 today. The scripture is going to be on the board. The message today is called, Give Us This Day. Give Us This Day. Today is August the 8th. Yesterday was my dad's 84th birthday. He made it. And I saw him this morning. And the process is long, but praise God. We're still here, and we're still believing God, and every day is a blessing. Can I say something to all of you all? Don't waste your life. Amen. Don't waste your life. Last Sunday morning when you were having worship services, the surgeon was telling me and my sisters to tell my dad the things that we needed to say because it could be the last time we say, say anything to him. And you know, in those moments, you don't talk about stuff. When my dad looked at us and talked to us about what was in his heart, he had nothing to say about his retirement account. He had nothing to say about who's winning in the sports league because those things aren't important. Those aren't the most necessary things. The necessary things are what's relational. And say those things now. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. I can tell you in the last few years, my dad has served the Lord in a level that I never saw before. I baptized him when he was 80 years old. I baptized my dad. That's weird. Amen? 80 years old, he's sitting up here confessing Jesus Christ is Lord. And for four years, he has been completely sold out to the Lord. And when the time came that he had to draw on his face, draw on his faith looking into the eyes of what could be his last moments he had calm there was grief but there was calm because there was the certainty of a couple of things not only that he's going to heaven 
but that he's done what God has asked him to do in these last years. A lot of people think, you know, as long as I'm going to heaven, I can, you know, I'll be good in that day. Guys, you've missed the idea because us going to heaven is not just the point of God's salvation. God, God saving us is not about us just going to heaven. It's about heaven coming to earth through us. And us bringing that into this life. Too many people waste their life. They waste their life in pursuing stuff, pursuing pleasure, pursuing entertainment, pursuing things that can give no payoff, no life. There's no life in those things. The Bible calls those things dumb idols. What, is, what does it mean by that? They can't speak. They can't give. They can't give life. They can't do anything. But we have a God who is alive, amen? And when we come to pray today and when we come to learn to pray over these next few weeks, we're going to learn how to enter into that relational aspect of prayer. So Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9, is going to be our scriptures. And this is what Jesus said, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Pastor Blake has done a very good job of explaining these things. The fact that we approach God in a relational way, our Father in heaven, and, and the fact that we praise Him. You see, prayer is not just gimme, gimme. Prayer is first paternal. He's our Father. Then prayer is praise, hallowed be your name. Uh, prayer is priorities. Your kingdom come and your will be done. That means that I'm not making all of the decisions about my life. I want his rule to come over me. And you know, when you give up your rule and give your rule over to his rule, then you find out what living looks like. We always make dumb decisions. When we try to run it, we run it bad, don't we? But when we give it over to him, things begin to make sense. And Pastor Blake has done this. He's got us to this point. And sometimes we want to make sure we understand that it is okay to ask God for things. Because he said, pray, give us this day. So when you have a prayer request, it's okay. Somebody said, God will give you what you need, but not necessarily what you want. That's true. But you know what? God still gives his kids what they want sometimes. I can, I can prove it. I've got a bunch of kids, a bunch of grandkids, and I give them things sometimes just because I love them. Amen? Don't you do the same? Well, God's like that. But God's not going to give you everything you want because if God gave you everything you want, nobody in the world could stand you. You'd be spoiled. You'd never grow up. You see, we want to grow up in this relationship with God. And so today we're going to talk about what it looks like to ask God, give us this day. To start the message, I want to tell you a story about a sailor who was in the service and he wanted to impress his chaplain. And he walked into the chaplain and he said, hey chap, I have the Lord's Prayer tattooed to my chest. And the chaplain said, well I hope it's not just skin deep. Hope it goes further than that. Many people can quote the Lord's Prayer. Many people can say it verbatim. But many people don't know what it really means to live it. Many people in this room can quote the 23rd Psalm, but can't really say that many people in this room or everyone in this room knows the shepherd that way. 
When Jesus is teaching us how to pray, he uses the language of our Father. You see, it's not just a want list, not just a wish list. Prayer is not a do not like list. Did anybody pray like that? Your prayer life starts like this. God, I'm really upset about what you've been doing. Anybody ever done that? Uh, anybody ever lied about doing that? You know, nobody's going to raise their hand. Everybody's looking at me like, no, it's not me. Man, I've got a perfect church this morning. I thought I was preaching to messed up people, amen? You see, we do that, don't we? You know, we come in before God, and the first thing we do is just, just blah, there it is. God, I am not happy about whatever. You see, in those moments, we need to let God transform us, amen? So Jesus says this is how you do it, and as he does, he gives us not a verbatim prayer that we pray every time we pray, but a, a model to follow. When Jesus is teaching this, he's doing it from the stance of a rabbi, a Jewish rabbi. And the Jewish rabbis had some what we call presuppositions. Presuppositions are things that you assume. You see, Jesus wasn't looking at his disciples, and he is talking to his disciples and he's not looking at them saying, you know what, I'm going to prove to you that there's a God. He wasn't trying to do that in this moment. He was assuming or presupposing that they understood something about God. All the Jewish rabbis did that. We come in here this morning and my purpose today is not to be one to try to convince you that God is real. That message is a good message, but it's not my purpose today. My purpose today is the same as Jesus' was, to look at the disciples of Jesus and teach you how to pray, presupposing and assuming and knowing that there is a God and that he is alive and willing to relate with us. So Jesus begins to teach them. And so I got to thinking about what was in the Jewish person's mind when Jesus is teaching them how to pray because I want to kind of introduce it before I get to the action step. And I want to give it to you like this. Point number one is that he is showing us and he's coming from the perspective that we have a God who is powerful. Anybody agree with that today? We have a God who is powerful. The Jewish people already understood that. They already understood that God was powerful. They understood that God is creator. You see, when you pray, you're praying to a God who is powerful. He is not limited by anything. God can take nothing and make something out of it. So if you think you've already messed it up to the point that it can never be fixed, understand you're praying to a God that possesses all power. The problem is never in God. The problem is always in us and our lack of faith in this God who is powerful. Not only is he powerful, but God is redeemer. The Jewish people understood that because they knew that when they were enslaved in Egypt that God raised up a man named Moses and redeemed them from the mess of their past. See, God is able to redeem you from your mess. You are not so messed up today that you can't be redeemed, but if you're so stubborn as to not turn from your sin, you will stay in your sin today. Only the people that were willing to step out into the Red Sea that was parted was the ones that went through. And so many people want both worlds. Even some Israelites that came out of Egypt, when it got hard, you know what they began to do? They began to complain. I wish I was back in Egypt. What a dumb thing to say. You see, that's a heart problem. 
We have a God who's powerful. He's creator. He's redeemer. He's sustainer. The Israelites were in the desert for 40 years. And you know how you eat in the desert? It's not easy. It's just not a lot of food. You know what God did? God put bread on the ground every morning. Can you imagine getting up in the morning and going outside? There's bread on the ground. That's what God did. He did it for years and years and years and years. And he sustained them through all of it. You might say, well, I'm living in a desert time. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, there is daily bread available for you. And Jesus, in this prayer, taught us to pray, give us this day, what? Our daily bread. The things that we need today. And as I've developed this message for you today, I want you to know that God is very interested in you learning to depend on him every day. One of the huge sources of anxiety is to focus way out in the future and be concerned about how you're going to actually survive in the future. And you just take God completely out of the picture. I heard a man preach a message many years ago, and it was called Getting Home in the Dark. And it, it was an old country preacher, and it was at a, a conference, one of those type of things I'd like to go to where they preach all day long, and I love that kind of stuff. And this man was a country preacher, and he talked about what life is like out in the country. And Hillbilly, you know, I've never been in the country in my life. You know, when I go outside at night, there's a street light. If the street light's not on, I call Mr. Mayor, get the street light back on. In this country living, when it's dark, it's really dark. And this man was preaching about what it was like living there, and his dad and, and he were there, and his dad had him go out to do something out in the yard or out in the, in the garage, and it was dark, and you couldn't see anything, and he said his dad would put the flashlight on the ground, and as the fl flashlight was on the ground, you just move as the light moved. And that's a great picture of what it looks like to, to trust God daily. Amen. You move as the light moves. The Israelites moved as the fire moved. The Israelites moved as, as the fog moved. That's what it is with us today. But you see, we want to know exactly how God's going to do it 10 years from now. But there's no way in the world you can know that. Because I can testify to you. You may have plans for the next 10 years. But in the next 10 minutes, your time might be up. And so it's a lot better for you and me to decide we're going to trust God every day. We're going to trust God every minute. We're going to walk with him every minute and trust him to take us the next 10 days, the next 10 years, the next whatever. Many people say they can trust God with their eternity, but they can't trust God to get them through the next situation that's in their life. God is our sustainer. He's the one that gives us every day what we need. Jesus taught us, give us this day our daily bread. Too many of us want to say, God, give us this month. God, give us this year. And then we're praying for something that really God didn't ask us to pray for. And so that just shows that in our minds we're focused on all of those things out there. And we're looking at it through the lens of time and not through the lens of the fact that God is our daily sustainer. So then we start worrying. We start being filled with anxiety. And the next thing we know, we're going before God saying, God, you need to help me with this. God, I'm so worried about what's going to happen. God, I'm so nervous about what's going to happen. And God's like, what in the world do you want me to do? You see, there is no grace 
that God can give you towards a situation that doesn't exist. God exists in reality. And this morning, Sunday morning, August 8th, God has a daily provision for you and me now. And he will give it to you now. And he taught us to pray for it. If Jesus says, pray it, it sounds to me like he means it and that he's going to do it. He is the creator. He is redeemer. He is sustainer. He is king. God is king. He is over all. It looks like we live in a world where there's a lot of officials up here somewhere that just hate God. If, you don't, if you're not aware of that, you're not paying attention. We have a world right now that wants to replace God. We have a world that wants to decide everything about us, to decide what is moral. <laughs> I, I, was, I was criticized last week. Somebody told me that uh, I was uh, neglecting my job as a pastor if I don't follow certain rules that are coming down the pipe, and you all know what I'm talking about. And I, I just simply said, well, my faith is in God. My faith is in Jesus Christ. And this person said, your faith in Jesus Christ has nothing to do with your job as a pastor. I don't know. What do you say then? You know? God is king. Somebody said, well, you could die. I will someday. But you know the truth is, in Christ, I'm already, I'm already dead. In fact, I'm alive from the dead. What more can anyone do to me? When you look at the New Testament, you don't find people walking around scared to death that they might die. You find people... Who, like the Apostle Paul said, it would be better if I'd just go on. Somebody said, well, I'll kill you. I'm saying, ooh, send me to heaven. <laughs> that really hurts me, you know. Guys, there's a better way to live, right? He is our king. He is the one over all. You see, the presuppositions that the Jewish people have were biblical. And I want you to know that if you're going to have a relationship with God, you need the same ideas. Because the Bible says in Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11, the Bible says that without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. That's a presupposition. That you realize he exists. Somebody says, well, how can you know there's a God? Here's one way. Go outside and look. <laughs> I mean, there was music here this morning, right? There were musicians. There were instruments. There's a creation. Guess what? There's a creator. Take a look. If you're like, I just don't believe it's there. No, it's not that you don't believe. It's just your heart is hard and you don't want to believe because you don't want to be responsible for your sin. That's the way it is. So we must believe that he is. And more than that, we have the biblical record of his, res of his revelation. We can know that he exists because he has revealed himself to us. Not only that he, we believe that he exists, but he says that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Looks to me like we've got two choices to do with this. We can either seek our own way and try our own way and test our luck, or we can just seek God. Can you imagine that the creator says he will reward me if I seek him earnestly? What does it mean earnestly? It means I seek him, not his stuff. If I'm after him for what he can give me, I'm not seeking him. God, I'll serve you if you heal somebody. 
God, I'll serve you if you give me a job. God, I'll serve you if you give me a relationship. God, I'll serve you if you'll do something. You have missed the point. Which one of you dads would like that? Your kid comes, you know what, Dad? I'll do what you say as long as you give me stuff. Nobody likes that. And we think that God's going to accept that. God, God's not going to accept that kind of worship. We earnestly believe that he exists, and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. The Bible says in the book of Jeremiah, you will find me when you seek me with your entire heart. You can't come after God in a flippant way. God is there. God's revealed himself to us. And as he does, we begin to follow along. That's the scripture. So from the presuppositions, if Adam was teaching us how to pray, he would say God's the great creator. If Moses was teaching us to pray, he'd say God's the great redeemer. If Joshua was teaching us to pray, he'd say that God is the great general of the kingdom of heaven. If David was teaching us to pray, he would be teaching us that God is king over all. But Jesus teaching us to pray identifies something about God that really the Jewish people didn't understand and that we know today Jesus calls God Father. That's why we sing the song. That's why everything we did today was pointed to this very fact that God is Father. We have a God that is powerful, and this God is Father, so therefore, point number two, we have a God who is approachable. My Father is approachable. I can go in to see Him when He's in, in, outside on the back porch. I can go see Him anytime I want to. Why? Because He's pop. And if God is your Father, He's approachable. The New Testament uses language that makes it a little more... <clears throat> little more uh, endeared or closer than just father the word Abba is used which is a term of endearment sort of like daddy we can come to God on this level but you know if you've got pride you won't do that if you don't realize the relationship you won't do that you won't come to him like that the, the Bible's clear Jesus many times has taught us that in many aspects of our life, we need to become more like children than proud, stubborn adults who want our own way. Come before God. He is our Abba. This is Jesus was teaching our Father who art in heaven. He said, go right to him and call on him. You see, Jesus says we can pray to the one that's in heaven. Do you realize what prayer does? Tony Evans taught me this, and I'm never going to forget it, I don't think. The fact is, I'm living here in time, but my prayers can touch he who is in heaven. If you believe that, it's going to motivate you to be a person of prayer. You can touch heaven. Some of our prayers, though, if we be real honest, some of our prayers don't feel like they get any higher than the ceiling. Because we're not praying in faith and we're not approaching it in a relational way. When you come before God, when you learn to pray, when you do it this week, start your prayer. Our Father, go right into him. And the, Jesus says when you do that, what's happening here in time transcends time and touches eternity. You see, through prayer, God wants us to touch eternity and literally to pull down eternity 
into time. And we are asking God, who is there, who is above and over all, to relate and do things here on this sphere. Jesus says we can pray to the one that's in heaven. Jesus says we can pray to the one that is holy. You know what the word holy means? When you look around this room, you don't see anybody that's holy like God is. God is completely unlike us. We are stained in our flesh. God, through salvation, has called us holy and we're holy in our state and there's the Holy Spirit that dwells within us but when it comes to outright holiness there's only one that we can say holy 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 Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come and God says and Jesus says we can go right to him and when we pray Father holy is your name We can pray to the one who is holy we can pray to the one who is king we can pray to the one who is wise This Father is approachable. He is totally unlike us, but yet we can go right in. And the New Testament develops it further. When Jesus died, the veil of the temple was torn in two and access to God was opened up. Ladies and gentlemen, we don't have to have somebody else approach God on our behalf. We can go straight in. The Bible said about Jesus when he was born, he'd call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us, approachable. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 5, there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Jesus Christ, approachable. Jesus lived the life that we couldn't live in order that we might be able to now live the life that was never available before him. Jesus, the Son of God, he is the Son of God. He is the Son of God, and he says for us to call God Father. Isn't that wonderful? Many miss this. Because they don't want the relationship. They want the God that can just solve their problems rather than the God who wants to relate with them. We need a father in our life. Amen? Jesus, the Son of God, calls him Father. What about this our Father? I like what Blake said today. The the plural is used. Did you notice that? Say our. What does our mean? It means there's a plurality of people praying. Let me tell you what I think it means. The plural is being used not to negate the individual, but to point to the fact that we believers are all family. We have a common father. And you see, that means that we have a responsibility here in the family. Anybody have kids? Anybody ever have problems with their kids? Anybody ever just wonder, are you kids ever going to get along? I mean... Tell me one father, a good father, a good mother, that wants their children to be fighting. If you do, you're weird. (laughs) Right? That's not what we want. And, and you know, if if a parent sides with one child against the other, that's kind of crazy, isn't it? I mean, the point is, we are one family approaching one father and for us to do this correctly we've got to recognize that we're responsible to each other to maintain the fellowship in order for us to worship God we live in a day right now when people are so entitled and people are so individualistic it's like I'm going to worship my way and if somebody 
or something at my church gets under my skin and they do something wrong to me, instead of trying to solve the problem, I'll just go somewhere else. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus said you can't worship like that. I'm not saying there's never a reason to leave a, a fellowship. Sometimes there are. But the idea that I can have malice towards God's people and worship God, you're kidding yourself. Jesus said, leave your gift at the altar, go reconcile, and then come back and worship. Amen. You see, we're never going to address the problems of society if the church itself is a family that's going through family feuds. The Father wants us together worshiping Him. And I know some people, you know, it's hard to get along with some folks. That's true. But you might be that person. They say in every room, there's a jerk in every room. And if you don't know who that person is, you might be that person. It's just the way it is. We come together flawed. We fail each other. We need to forgive each other. And we come before God and we worship and we say, Our Father. Another thing I think about this family situation, I don't know what kind of father you had. Brian Comer said this very well. Many people in the room might not have had a good situation with their father. And when we start talking about Father God, it's a little bit, it's a little bit difficult for them to hear. Because the only example of a father they have is a negative example. And in that case, it might be difficult to learn how to accept the Father like the Father that we have. But if you think about this, family members who are nurtured well by their Father, they always desire to be with that Father. And I want you to know that the Father in Heaven nurtures His kids. And the most important thing in our life is to spend time with Him. And if you're not convinced that spending time with Him beats everything else, every other activity in life, then you've missed out on the basic premise of Christianity, which is the family of God worshiping the Father God. You see, God created the world, and God put us in the world because the Father's looking for a family. And he's willing to adopt everybody in this room. And he wants to be called Father. And he wants you to spend time with him. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? I mean that God wants you to spend time with him. But why is it that in the church that people like me have to convince people sitting there that you need to spend time with God? I mean, it's, if I use the word need and should, that's kind of a, a hard reality. But ladies and gentlemen, it shouldn't be that way because he's a good, good father. And since he's a good, good father, I want to hang out with him. I want to spend time with him. My best times in life are in my study at home. I've got a place where I spend my morning, Bible in one hand, and a prayer journal in the other, and just meditate and think and commune with God, and it's very real. Real quickly, I'll let you know, we have some new journals in, and they're free for you. They're at the coffee shop if you'd like one. 
I'd love for you to start journaling with me. We've got a lot to pray about. And I like to write my prayers out and things I'm praying for, and I like to be able to see what God has done. We have a God who is powerful. We have a God who is approachable. And last, we have a Father who is dependable. Our Father is dependable. And I'll give you three quick thoughts about how dependable He is. First, He is alive and active. He is not absent and aloof. He's alive. He's active. God moves. If we didn't think God could move, then it'd be ridiculous for us to ask Him anything. Why does he not move more? James says we, he doesn't give things sometimes simply because we don't ask. You have not because you ask not. Another thing James said is sometimes you don't have because you ask wrong, asking for, you, for God to give you things to spend on the flesh. In other words, I just want God's stuff. God's not interested in the stuff. God can make stuff by the very breath coming out of his mouth. God's not interested in those things. God is looking for a family, looking for hearts. And he's here, ready, willing to commune with us and to grant things that we need. Give us this day, he said. We pray to God to give us today what we need today. Why? Because he's alive and he's active. Pastor Blake talked to you about answered prayers. Brian Comer talked to you about answered prayers. I'm telling you today, God answers prayers. He's not dead, but many people treat him as such. In other words, we have sometimes such a low opinion of God in prayer that we think he's up there somewhere and he's tending to the big things and he's not concerned about me at all. Ladies and gentlemen, he is concerned about all of us. Why? Because we're his kids. Good parent wouldn't say, well, there's a couple of important kids and I'm going to leave these other ones to just do what they want. God is concerned about your situation. Not only is he alive and active, but he is respected and revered. He's respected and revered. Jesus is telling us how to approach God. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, respected. Guys, can I ask you to do something? Never refer to God as the man upstairs. Okay? Don't, don't go that way. Let me teach you something about blasphemy. You you heard that word before? Blasphemy means you take something sacred and treat it as common. Don't look at God that way. He is the Father and He's familiar with us. But we don't use this in a trite manner. We respect Him. We respect His name. Hallowed be your name. I don't know about you, but I would think... Anyone in love with the Father, anyone in love with Jesus would never tolerate his name being used as a curse word through entertainment. If that's normal to you, let that speak to you today. That you're allowing not only the sacred to become common, but actually to be used for reasons of darkness. May it never be so. So many Christians would say, well, I don't do some of these bad things 
But yet we tolerate that. I don't have time to preach about it today, but I think entertainment is the great idol of our, of our land. I think people live like, you know what, we got to have something to do. What do you mean you have to have something to do? You have a family. You have a Father in heaven that's got a will for you. You have a purpose. You have a reason why you're here. And making money and enjoying things is not it, particularly when those things get in the way of your relationship with God. I'm here for him. I told my dad last week when we thought it might be over, I said, I think I might have 20 years of ministry left, and I'm going to do it the best of my ability. And I hope God gives me 20 years of ministry, maybe 40 <laughs> Can you imagine me up here at 99 preaching? Some of you didn't think I'd preach again, did you? Look, that's what I want to do. Somebody, everybody always tells me, you know, pastors don't retire. I don't have any plans to stop. But what about you? You going to retire on God? You going to get to the point and say, okay, I'm done. I'm just going to take my ease. I've laid up treasures for years. Now I'm going to take my ease and say to my soul, rest. Jesus had some things to say about that, didn't he? He said, you fool, your soul is going to be required of you tonight. See, the point is we're just living for the wrong things. God, he's alive and he's active and is, he's to be respected and revered. And last, he is present and providing. He's present and providing. Jesus teaches us to depend on God daily, daily. We live in time, but we learn to depend on a God who is eternal. We're limited by our flesh, but we learn to depend on a God who is spirit. Living by faith, we learn to depend on God daily. I can't say this any better than this man named Dallas Willard said this, and the book is called the divine conspiracy but Dallas Willard said it like this and said it very clearly let me put it up there today I have God and he has the provisions tomorrow it will be the same so I simply ask today for what I need for today and ask now for what I need now if you think about that that's pretty intense there's nothing in there that says, I have to get anxious about the future. You know what's wrong with us? We stumble at trusting God for today. For whatever reason, we think if I've got stuff, if I've got money, if I've got th stuff saved up, there is my security. That is foolish living because all that could be gone tomorrow. It could be gone in many ways. You could die tomorrow. It could be gone. You think this country is going to last forever like it is? I got news for you. You might say, well, I've got all the money I'll ever need. It can be gone tomorrow. It can either be gone or the government can take it from you. You think they won't? You don't know what's going to happen. The only security you have in your life is the God who is present and providing for you now. And this good, good father said, I will never let you go without. We're his kids. When you think about children, 
they don't think about the long-term effects of anything. I was thinking about the little three-year-old that stayed with me for four and a half months. The little three-year-old had something she'd say to me every day, several times a day. I want chocolate milk. I bought stock in the chocolate milk company. And I would have the Turner truck just drive up to the house and unload everything they had. But that little three-year-old girl never worried about whether or not there was chocolate milk in there. She didn't have to. Why would God's kids worry that the chocolate milk's not going to be there tomorrow? It's crazy, isn't it? Look what Dallas Willard said about this. Not that one. Where are we at here? Maybe I didn't have that. He says a child should never even have to think about the future provision until it grows older and has that responsibility. That's true, isn't it? child doesn't have to worry about future provision. And he goes on to say this. He says, what hinders or shuts down kingdom living is not the having of such such provisions. In other words, if you've got a savings account, if you've got a retirement account, if you've got things that you're going to need and things that can be there tomorrow, those things aren't, they don't shut down kingdom living. It's rather trusting in them for future security. When you trust in what you have for security, now you're ripe for anxiety. We have no real security for the future in them, but only in the God who is present with us every day. And then he goes on to say, when we accept and practice Jesus' teaching on prayer, we're entirely freed from the concerns about the future. Praise God. I don't have to worry about it. Look, I've never made just a whole lot of money in my life, but you know what I've, you know what I've made? I made enough that I needed for today. And I've already ate once today, and I have plans to do it again. And in my prayer time, God, give us this day our daily bread. There's a great illustration that I want to give you, and then I'm going to close. And I want to show with, share with you that he who is able to do his will in heaven is willing to do his will for, on earth for his family. The illustration is Exodus 16. I want to challenge you to read it. But when God was sustaining Israel in the desert, God said, go out every morning and pick up bread from the ground. Pick up bread from the ground. That's not hard, is it? Go out, pick up bread. And he said, do it. Pick up enough for today. Get enough for today. You see, for me, I'd take a little more than some of you, right? And he said, don't take more than you need. Just take what you need. Now, what do you think some hardheads did? See all this? Stuff a little here, stuff a little here. I'll have some for tomorrow. Right? Aren't we that way? You know what the Bible says happened to it in the next day? It didn't smell good. You know what's wrong with some people's lives? You're trying to get more than you need. You got some back here, put some back here. God said just do it for today. You're putting back, putting back, putting back, putting back. And it's starting to smell. And it disrupts everything in your life because you're trusting in the wrong thing. And then God said on the sixth day, now gather up for two days. So on the Sabbath, what do you do on the Sabbath? You rest, you worship. Still a good idea, right? 
So don't go out after it. There's not going to be any on the ground. What do you think some hardheads did? Maybe there just might be some more. Isn't it funny that they knew God could bring them through the Red Sea, divided the Red Sea, and yet they still couldn't trust God to give them daily what they needed. Ladies and gentlemen, if you hear anything I say in your prayer life, give us this day what we need today and trust God for the future. He's got it. He has a plan for you, and he will make what happens he will make what needs to happen happen for you because he's a good, good father and he likes to give good gifts to his kids. Let's start praying, y'all. I want to ask you today to grab one of these journals if you'd like to participate. You say, what are we going to pray about? I got a lot of things to pray about. You want to see revival come to Metropolis? I do. You want to see people coming off the drug lifestyle? I do. You want to see Life Academy flourish? I do. You want to see children learn how to think for themselves and how to follow the Lord Jesus Christ? I do. Do you want to see a massive movement of God coming right here on 3rd Street? You might look around and say, we're just a small group of people. Ladies and gentlemen, God takes small groups and does big things because he's a big God. You got things that need to be done in your life? What about you? You have a trust problem with God? You ready today? to decide to pray differently. Let's stop just throwing our wish list up and let's start from the fact that God is our Father and we're family and we can trust Him and trust that He'll do what we need. I don't know what's going to happen today. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but I know one thing. God is already there and He will be there when I get there. Y'all receive the word today? Amen? Those uh, journals will be in the coffee shop. I'd encourage you today to read Exodus 16, that illustration about the Israelites. And if you see yourself in the story, what do you do? You repent. God, teach me to trust. God, teach me to put you first. God, show me your will, and I'm willing to do it. Give us this day what we need today.